0: Hi, welcome to our series of podcasts on the Procurement Act 2023. In each podcast, we'll join members of Osborne Clark's public procurement team as they take a pragmatic look at the new Act and its implications across a number of topics and sectors. If you'd like to discuss any topic in more detail with a member of the team, please get in touch using the contact details provided.
1: Hi, I'm Craig McCarthy. I'm a partner in our Regulated Disputes team here at Osborne-Clark and I specialise in public procurement.
0: Hi, I'm Millie Smith. I'm an associate in the public procurement team.
1: Hi, Millie. So we're going to talk today about the interaction between public procurement and net zero, and in particular, the question of whether the, the new procurement act that's coming into force we expect next year goes far enough, does enough in the context of the government's commitments around net zero.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think before we even start this podcast, um, it would be helpful to sort of define net zero and talk a bit about why public procurement is even relevant to net zero. I appreciate that definition of net zero might be a whole subject for another podcast, but if we could do it succinctly, I think that would be a very helpful place to start.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. So I think ultimately what we're talking about here probably is the the government's commitment uh, back in June 2019 um, with the amendments to the Climate Change Act, where the government basically committed to a hundred percent reduction in the UK's greenhouse gas emissions by twenty fifty, as compared against the nineteen ninety levels. So that's the I think what we'll we we'll call a net net zero target. Yeah. Um and then in terms of its importance and public procurement's role in that, I think probably a good place to go back to uh was the government's um policy paper, net zero strategy, building back greener from last, well, early last year. Um, And that set out some key commitments around, in particular, embedding net zero in government. And part of that approach was to recognise that the government ultimately spends not, not too far off, 300 billion pounds a year in terms of procurement that goes through what we think of as regulated procurement processes and so it, it was recognised as an opportunity there to to leverage that spending power by ensuring that suppliers are making commitments that are in line with achieving that net zero strategy basically if you're not in a place where you are committing to the same sorts of targets as government then government might ultimately not want to do business with you.
0: Yeah so it's obviously a very important topic and Recently, I think over the past three years, there's really been a flurry of um of policy basically that's been introduced on this very topic. So I think even before we start talking about the procurement act, it would be interesting to take a look at where we're at now and and where we think that might be going in the near future. So there are really sort of four key examples of, of policy that's been introduced recently to my mind. Uh, the first of which was back in 2020, uh, which was the Procurement Policy night, Note 0620, which was called so- introduced this, this social value model um, offering contracting authorities and bidders alike uh a 10% weighting to this to a bidder score through procurement, which was solely attributable to social value. And within social value, there are there are five themes within that, and fighting climate change is, is one of those. And I think in practice, what that looks like is, you know, when a bidder gets an ITT, gets a list of questions that they have to answer through their tender, one of those might be, or or two of those might be, looking at about how you as a supplier, as a business, when you're answering that question, how how you're going to fight fight climate change as a business. Um, And I think we've seen a whole range of, of those sort of questions. Some of them are really big and broad, and it's how are you reducing your emissions? across the board but then they really do drill down into quite discrete issues as well quite granular granular points i think one of them the other day i was looking at is um reducing plastic waste on on your products, so your individual products how are you, how are they if you're going to deliver them to the nhs or elsewhere how are you going to re- reduce that that waste element of, of your business um so I mean, that was the, the first sort of introduction of, of net zero that, that we saw, which had a real impact on on bidder's approach to, to these um new procurements that were going down the line. We've yeah. since then had a had a bit more sort of uh like a bit more of an introduction of policies that take a broader approach. So we've had the procurement policy note 06 2021, which introduced the concept of carbon reduction plans. So in real brief terms the carbon reduction plan is a commitment from a supplier to commit to net zero by 2050 themselves so it's it's looking internally at your business model and how are you as a business going to commit to 2050 and it's setting out that plan in one document that gets submitted to the contracting authority as part of the procurement process and you get a yes or a no on that document. Yes, have you confirmed that you will meet net zero and, and how are you going to get there? And I think one of the interesting parts of that carbon reduction plan is that it looks at scope one, scope two and scope three emissions, but there's only a defined subset of five of those scope three emissions. I think it's across sort of 15 in total, um, which is a in- really interesting move. Uh, it's not obviously not the whole breadth of, Th- those scope three emissions which I think is quite interesting.
1: Yeah I think that's, that's right I mean look at the, the greenhouse gas protocol um, sort of list of of the schedule three um, so scope three emissions that fall within that particular area so all the kind of emissions that are, f- are really looking at the sort of supply chain um, emissions that, that a particular product mm-hmm. or service or or contract would would end up producing some of the key ones it's slightly surprising that some of the key ones that you would think ought to be in there aren't, aren't in there i mean the obvious one being the purchase goods and services that that category strikes me as one that is really important when it comes to looking at what is the actual um in overall kind of emissions that are attributable to the performance of a particular function by a contractor for government well if that contractor is buying in goods services surely that's something that really ought to be, be within scope and be thought about as part of the um the overall performance of that particular contractor. But for whatever reason, we're not in a place where where the central government approach has been to, to wrap those in. But I think other sectors have started to perhaps push further beyond what's within the, the starting policy, haven't they? I think in particular you've looked at the NHS and what they're doing.
0: Yeah, no, that's a it's a good sort of like practical example of a contracting authority that is taking these sort of policies that have been introduced and and sort of tailoring them to to their specific models that they're introducing. So if we look at the NHS, um, really ambitious goals for net zero, I think it's 2040 for the direct emissions that they control, um, 2045 for indirect emissions, which is really that sort of uh, supply chain aspect of their emissions. Um, And I think that it, it, those goals are very ambitious and they needed to set out quite strictly how they're going to get there in order for that to sound credible. Um, so I think it was a couple of years ago, or a year ago now that we saw this concept of the NHS net zero roadmap that was introduced. And there are various milestones within that roadmap, um, one of which was was this earlier this year, which was the introduction of that carbon reduction plan. Um and that's obviously a massive move from the NHS and it's it's a massive undertaking that these suppliers now have to, to learn how to to calculate their emissions on board consultants to do that for them. Understand how their model, their business model, can can shift towards net zero. It's a it's a huge undertaking and it, it takes a lot of investment, not only of time but I'm sure a lot of money. Um, but like I said, the NHS have, have said that that's what they're going to do. They've introduced these milestones. Like I said, one of which earlier this year, um, and one of those milestones, which I think is quite sort of daunting in in the future, is the 2030 uh, milestone, which says, you know, if you can't prove to me, contractor. Says the NHS that you're going to progress towards a net zero uh I'm actually you know you're not going to win these contracts you're not you're not going to be able yeah. to contract with us net that NHS is obviously a massive uh procurer of of um healthcare goods in in the market um and that's obviously going to be quite daunting for a lot of uh suppliers looking looking to that to that 2030 sort of milestone so yeah. It's it's obviously, I think it's one of the contracting authorities that's taking sort of a lead in in this area. Um, And I wonder if, yeah, others are going to follow suit in the the near future as well.
1: Yeah, that's a a really interesting point, because ultimately, obviously, the PPN 621, the the carbon reduction plan, your policy note, as things stand, that only applies officially to central government departments and their exec agencies and non-departmental public bodies. So they're the only ones who are, as a matter of policy bound to follow this. And even then it's it's not mandatory in that sense because there are carve outs. It's only for contracts like we touched on that above five million pounds per year in value. Yeah. And it's also there's a, a kind of a, a get out from having to apply that approach where it wouldn't be related to and proportion to the contract. And you might start from the question of well, surely climate change is relevant to all of the contracts that you might potentially award because ultimately you know, it, it, is a, it is a global issue. But fundamentally, there is that caveat at present within the policy. Um, and then the question I think then becomes, do we do we need to go further? And and what, if anything, will happen to the Procurement Act in that respect? Um, and I think it's, it's interesting looking back at the development and the, the progress of the Procurement Bill. There was debate earlier this year, in February this year, um around whether the the principles that are set out in procurement policy note six twenty-one around the carbon revision plan ought to be enshrined in the act and ultimately made mandatory. If you look at them now we have this optional element to it. Um, they apply as we said above the threshold, they apply as long as they are related to in proportion to the contract. There's a proposal from um from the Labour Party as this as this act was in its bill stages that we ought to be in fact making this mandatory to be taken into account for all protection procurement processes where there's a um, value of five million pounds that ultimately hasn't made it into the final version of the act question as to whether or not that might find its way into secondary legislation but at the minute certain to this current government the proposal and response seems to be that Authorities will continue to have the discretion to introduce a requirement for carbon reduction plans and the associated assessment of those. But ultimately, there's not an obligation yet, it's not mandatory yet. I wonder whether that's really a reflection of where we are in terms of the, the current political cycle, and actually, whether with a new government, the Labour already having indicated that ultimately it thinks that there should be some sort of mandatory element to this. Whether we might in the some future, if there is a change of government, be, be moving towards something that's a bit more um a bit more formal, a bit more mandatory in that sense.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. It's been the subject of debate in the Commons and the Lords, and there's been suggestions of amendments that, that like you said, might might be implemented. But I think at the moment where we are, it's it's quite a clear suggestion from the current government that, you know, we're not going to be implementing anything strictly towards Climate change or black letter law on net zero within within the Act, um, which is you know rightly or wrongly an, an interesting uh, a way to approach things. And like you said, it's going to be for secondary legislation, policy, and and guidance to to introduce that. Um, I think the only element of the procurement Act which touches on climate change is is through the National Procurement Policy Statement, uh, which we saw introduced back in 2021. Um, which is a, a document that uh, I think contracting authorities are going to have to have regard to when they're setting their pipeline of future procurements. So a bunch of priorities that um, the UK has at any given time. Um, we're probably going to see tackling climate change be pretty high on the agenda of that statement um, for, for many years coming. Um, what that looks like in reality, a contracting authority having to have regard to this statement, I'm, I'm not quite sure. But that's that's clear that that's as far as they as they're going to go. Um and like I said, whether rightly or wrongly, it's going to be a matter of uh, policy going forwards and we're going to be have to be keeping an eye on what that looks like um in, yeah. in the years to come.
1: I agree, I agree. I think the other thing that's that's interesting and probably relevant as well is we've got this shift in terms of award criteria from a contracting authority having to find the most economically advantageous tender to finding the most advantageous tender, and that the dropping of the word economically in what we used to call the meat test, and I expect now I'm going to call the mat test, um, that in itself I think was intended by government to signal that these contract rewards shouldn't always necessarily just be about price. They should also factor in this, the social considerations that we've seen introduced to the social value model in particular, and also that the wider impact on um, the local environment global environment, that the life cycle of a particular product or services contract could have, um, all form part and parcel of the things that can be considered. I think that ultimately where we seem to get to is we are in a, a place where contractual authorities are being given the latitude and discretion to continue to build these considerations into their procurement processes. But there isn't yet that mandated approach from central government to say, that you have to take this route and you have to treat the climate emergency as something that is you know, of vital importance when you are establishing and conducting your procurement processes. I suppose it's a, watch this space, if we have a new government in the future, might that change? Possibly. But as you say, in the meantime, all the action is likely to be, if not in secondary legislation, then certainly at the, at the policy level.
0: Yeah, and I would hope that, the the policy that's coming down the line is is tailored to specific industries like and and different markets because obviously none of them are the same um and that there's some engagement with suppliers I think there's a frustration uh when you're coming across these new procurements when there's no consistency in in the ITTs that you're getting in your markets or um and that's proving quite difficult to to get your points across so if they are implementing this policy uh, you know i'd hope that there would be that engagement with them with suppliers to understand you know what's the reality of the situation what can you do as a supplier to help us reach net zero and 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 listening to them ab- about those initiatives because i appreciate that they're out there and everyone's talking about this topic but it's it's that engagement that needs to happen um i think if we think of a specific example, um, delivery times for goods and contracts can often be quite um, urgent, specifically for things like medicines. Um, and if you're delivering a good that, that is urgent, and, and you're going to be delivering it within 24 hours of a request, you know, sometimes the reality of that is that you're going to have to put it on a plane from wherever it's coming from. Um, but I, I, I wonder if there's can be some relaxation of, of things like that, which are quite strict and, and you know, urgent, and they, they need to be Taking into account climate um, sort of considerations when they're implementing things like that, and e- even in different um, KPIs and, and elements of a contract that, that need looking at to, to, to accord for um, fighting climate change, and that, that would be a yeah. very interesting um, sort of tailored approach that different policy and, and different approaches from contracting authorities can take. No, I agree
1: completely, and I think that that relies on a, a point that I, I know you and I've discussed before, which is the the investment on the, the public sector side and the purchaser side to understand and appreciate and um, be aware of how the the things that they specify in their contracts will ultimately affect the downstream issues around emissions and, and how that can be, can be leveraged and can, can be controlled. I think on a similar point, it's, I think it's a question for me as to how carbon reduction plans can be used as, not not just the the tick box do you have one yes you do okay you can qualify to bid in our procurement but also as a, as a differentiator between suppliers and those suppliers who are investing heavily in demonstrating that they have um, appropriate achievable and realistic but ambitious carbon reduction plans them getting some recognition some credit for that as part of the procurement process as opposed to it just being a a sort of a selection kind of gateway issue do you have one yes you're in i think again there's a, a need for perhaps that um investment and maybe even education by the by the supplier community into the, into the public sector community to understand why you know a particular organization's um carbon reduction plan is is, is better than the competition and why that ought to be factored in and taken into account in deciding who to award a contract to i think there's a there's a lot of capacity I think for driving further improvement on that front in mm-hmm. the supply community. And I think that's absolutely from talking to the clients, it's absolutely up to it, that clients recognize and it's it is the right thing to do. It has not just benefits in terms of bidding the public sector, but benefits in terms of the wider um ESG um position. I think it's a win-win all round. It's just perhaps getting the, the critical mass behind it. From the contracting authority perspective, to properly understand and, and properly pull all the levers that are available to them.
0: Yeah, and and supporting innovation as well, obviously in the mark in different markets where where there is that appetite to introduce new concepts or initiatives that that are sort of saving emissions in, within their own business and contracting authorities supporting that. And I appreciate that that sometimes comes down to funding, um, but if there is that that sort of leniency there, that that you're introducing these new innovative. You know ways of doing things that, that are less carbon intensive i think that can only be a good thing
1: yeah absolutely okay so just to wrap up then it sounds as though as we stand today the likelihood is that there's not going to be any real immediate change on the net zero front as the procurement act comes in we do have a government that is right now thanks to the act focusing on procurement and so there's likely to be some movement around policy, in particular with perhaps a new national policy statement. Um, there may be some developments that we need to account for in terms of a refresher update to the existing policy notes on that front. There may be some secondary legislation that may come out and deal with this. So for now, it's very much a watch this space and um, yeah, we'll um, obviously keep everyone updated through our insights in the usual way to any developments that come, that come out.
0: Thanks very much for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please do reach out to any member of the Public Procurement Team at Osborne-Clark. More podcasts, insights, and webinar materials can also be found by checking out our website, titled, Navigating the Changes under the Procurement Act.